back with the great Jimmy Song. Um, hey, Jimmy, uh, we've never met. I'm I'm Alex, and this is Q. I don't know if you've ever met Q, but we're both working media side at Bitcoin Magazine, and we're super stoked to talk to you today. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, Q, I love your work. Q, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think I know what you're referencing, and yes, that is me. Yeah. <laughs> A uh, big fan of your writing, Jamie. Thank you so much for for joining us today, and uh, excited to to chat all things we can. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk. I I, I heard uh, some things happen to your YouTube channel, so hopefully, uh, you know, we can correct all of that. Yeah, yeah. Some some things happen. So we were doing a stream just like uh, we are now, and our channel was suddenly terminated. And I'm learning now, as we're on air, that. We we came back on with the help of the community um, and made YouTube aware of um, the termination, which was probably triggered triggered by an algorithm. You know, we probably said too many buzzwords about certain politically charged regions too close together, hmm. and uh, we think we think the account was uh, just auto deleted, and they brought it back, of course. But in the stream of us coming back, where we're sort of rehashing what happened. Um, We've just learned that they muted that video. So you can't, that content's just gone. That video, <laughs> the audio of us coming back is now completely gone. Uh, so it's been fun. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, so we're, we're discussing all things uh, censorship and Bitcoin today. So do you have any, any initial thoughts on those subjects? <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. Censorship is impossible if, uh, if you have... A decentralized network and this this is the thing that you know a lot of people appreciate about bitcoin is that there's no central controller that means that there's no way for your transactions to get censored and so on um and contrast that to all these like altcoins or whatever it, uh the the one that i found the most hilarious uh, was over the summer i think it was um it might have been the consensus network or something like that, but there, there was a huge network where somebody got like six hundred million dollars, at least nominally, of the token, and uh, and the developers of that token were like, "Hey, like you should just return the money because no one's going to process any of your transactions." <laughs> they basically went to every mining pool and said, "Do not transact anything from this address." Uh, went to every exchange, said, do not accept any deposits from this address, and basically just sort of censored the transaction. This is exactly what the U.S. government would do. The quote-unquote hacker ended up settling for $500,000. So by my math, it's $600 million, $500,000. It's like you got less than point, like 99.9% of the value of your token is based on having the approval of a central authority. So in a sense, that's kind of what you guys are running up against, right? Because what, uh, what you have is YouTube, which is a centralized entity, and your channel is worthless unless you have their approval. Because if they can take away your content at any time, you kind of need their approval. And this is, this is the whole thing about centralization. This is why we fight for freedom and liberty because once a centralized entity has control over your stuff or has sort of like this ultimate veto, like YouTube seems to have over any content that's on their platform, well, that stuff can start to get abused. And I don't want to say the keywords that might get you banned again, 
but you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of stuff that if you say anything close to it, it'll get you banned. And it's not even particularly controversial. It's just sort of, you know, like you see this on Twitter as well, where you're, you, you can tweet something like ivermectin has been in use since 1995, something like completely factual and it'll get tagged as like misleading or something. And this is that, our stream still up right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so th this is, this is kind of the, uh, the, the problem with centralization and this is the problem that we all want to see solved. And th this I think is the real web 3.0 that we should be talking about where you don't have central controllers, where you can publish things on your own. Uh, and, you know, I, I've thought about this quite a bit. The only way you can really make that happen is having each person run their own server. Um, and we already do that in Bitcoin. You run your own server, you run your own node, and a lot of people do that. But this needs to be a lot larger, right? Like you need to be willing to host your own content. Because if you're hosting your own content, then, you know, no one can really cut you off, assuming you have multiple ISPs or something like that. But the ability to host your own content is the key, because the reason YouTube can cut you off is because they're hosting your content. They're, you're, you're essentially using them as a giant hard drive somewhere. And this is the power that all these centralized platforms have. If they are hosting the content, then in a sense, they kind of own it. Um, you know, whatever copyrights you might say that, like actually belong to you, in a sense, they own a part of you uh, or whatever content that you produce. And this is exactly what you're running up against. This is the exact problem in the financial system with respect to Bitcoin that, that Bitcoin is solving. Um, I think we need something like that. Um, and, and I think it's coming uh, and lightning is a great first step to it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, do you think that self-hosted uh, servers are going to be part of this solution? Is that is that the future uh, that's in mm -hmm. store for us all? Yeah, I, like just think about the word decentralization, right? Like if it's all in one place, it's centralized. And this is this is the problem with all these altcoins and so on. It's uh, it, it's all essentially like Ethereum, there's maybe like six nodes, right? Like one of them is Infura probably with like 80 API things or something like that. It's it's just like, if you only have a few nodes, it's, it's just a centralized. And the thing is, if you're running your own node, then you're running your own server, you're serving up data to others and you're not just being a client. The thing is like uh, the, the web when it was, or the internet when it was first conceived, was conceived to be a decentralized network. We were supposed to all run our servers and not just be a client. What's happened over the last 20, 30 years is that centralized services have come to dominate. So you have uh, you know, big tech companies like Google and Facebook that host all of the content and we're relegated just to being clients, right? We just consume the content. We don't serve up any content to anybody else. But the actual design of the internet was everyone can run their own server and it's not all in one place. It was originally like a DARPA funded thing. It was so that if we, if the US had a nuclear strike that not everything would go down and you can, you can still communicate and things like that. That's the original design of the internet. That's what we need to get back to. And if, we, if you think about like the other sort of like 
decentralized tech that we can point to. That's BitTorrent. And what 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 are you forced to do as a BitTorrent uh, when when you install BitTorrent? You also have to serve up content. You can't just extract content from everybody else. Now that's how most people use it. But you're also using the upload bandwidth to serve content elsewhere. That's the only way decentralization works. Now, how do we get there? Well, the nice thing is like Lightning seems to have unlocked something and uh, people are willing to start hosting stuff. If you're running your own Lightning node, you're running your own server, you are a node on this vast network and you're not just being a client, you also have to be a server. And you're, you're, you're able to do that by running your own Lightning node. But that's not the, the we shouldn't stop there, right? Like uh, if you wanna get off of your Google addiction, well, you know, host your own mail server or your calendar server or your photo server. And now you can really actually get off of Google. Um, and if you are using Lightning in the right way, eventually we'll have this ability to tweet out or blog out straight from your server. That is actually decentralized. And that's the direction that we need to go to. The problem is people are addicted to free. Because if, you're, if you have a Gmail account, you don't need to worry about any of that stuff, right? Running your own server, making sure everything's updated, that you're properly securing your server, that no one's going to hack into it and stuff like that. That's a lot of work. Google takes care of that for you. But, you know, you're giving up a lot of self-sovereignty and giving them a lot of ad dollars in exchange. Um, I don't think that's a very good trade. And I think as more people recognize just how much they're trading off by trusting companies like Google, Facebook, Twitter, and others, they'll, they'll, they'll start going in this direction. Um, but it's, it's going to have to start with us. It's going to have to start with the Bitcoiners. I think you bring up an excellent point about the trade-off aspect of like mm. giving Google that right. I mean, we're seeing it now with all of the different policy measures coming out regarding cookies and regarding how much data these uh, behemoth companies can actually collect on us. I do want to kind of pose another side of this question, which is not just us releasing the content, but then also garnering people to come watch said content. Like YouTube has that baked in audience of, I don't know, something to the tune of half a billion people regularly check YouTube. So what is that next iteration of, all right, we're hosting it through a node, we're hosting it through the lightning network. How are, how are we drawing in these eyeballs because the Bitcoin community may know about Bitcoin EV, the Bitcoin community may know about Lightning, but we're still working on getting everyone else involved. So how do we how do we combine those two endeavors? Yeah, and th this is the big problem is that they they already have sort of like a lot of that network effect and that momentum. Uh, the thing is though, like a lot of people are realizing, okay, Google censors a lot of content, and they uh, they make it so that. Um, and, it, you know, it's and it's getting more political over time. You know, I, I think a lot of people are recognizing, OK, like these are opinions that are not allowed. And, and the thing is, it's not ne even necessarily from Google. It's that they oh because they're a centralized entity, you have governments that are threatening to regulate them in a very harsh way. So in a sense, governments can kind of use their power to regulate to control these platforms to some degree and say, you know what, if you're, if you're not banning these kinds of things, then we're going to start making it, making life very difficult for you. 
<clears throat> but the, but your question comes back to how do you make it so that you can sort of keep this 500 million people audience <laughs> or, or get that reach and, uh, you know, be off of that? Well, it doesn't happen overnight. The thing is, it, it took Google decades to get to where they are. Um, and it, it took a lot of organic sort of like um, it took an organic approach to get get to the point that we have. Um, but, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, YouTube happens to be absolutely dominant because a lot, uh, you know, a lot of people host it there. Um, at some point, you need to start opting out. And this is what we've done as Bitcoiners from the Federal Reserve and the U.S. dollar system. I think we have to do this for, you know, video and a lot of other things. Uh, but it's it's going to be somewhat painful at the beginning because you're not going to have that reach and it's not going to be as accessible and people are going to have to learn like a new way of doing things, um, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, paying some lightning note to go get that content or whatever. It's a completely different model, but you get that sovereignty. Um, but it, it's it, it's. It's not going to be just sort of like, okay, well, you're going to get all of the best parts of YouTube and have, uh, you know, and have self-sovereignty right away. That, that's just unrealistic. That's, I, I doubt that's going to happen. Um, and it's hard for us to imagine that. But, you know, that's, uh, that, that was always the case. That's always the case with like giant behemoths. Uh, for, for a while there, people thought Sears was going to take over all, all like retail or whatever. Um, now they're a bankrupt company, right? Like there, there's nothing there. So this, this is the key: is uh, people will transition because you know they, they're, they're kind of poking the bear, right? It's uh, you know, like if you look up information of a certain type, you can't find it on YouTube. It's just impossible, or it gets taken down very quickly. Um, you know, that, that, that has consequences. You know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast with that doctor was like one of the most downloaded on the internet that, that that's not as big a platform as YouTube, but you know, like the fact that there is sort of like, uh, a hunger for content like that tells you that, okay, like you can compete with YouTube. You just need really good content to go along with it. It's that, you know, like for a lot of people, they're sort of dependent on the YouTube algorithm to help them out. Um, well, that these are this is one of the benefits that Google gives you when when you upload to their platform. Again, it's a trade off. You, you, you have and if you really want self-sovereignty or this ability to not be cancelable or to say whatever the heck you want, then then that's that's the trade off you're going to have to make. So. And the trade-off is, it seems everything today. This is the integrity of our journalism, mm -hmm. like the integrity of our all of our institutions. So, so my question for you would be, is it better to spend one's time making the adjustment and, and you know, it's probably on an individual base, basis, but um, becoming self-sovereign and uh, more more private and more individual? Or do we you know, lobby to change the regulations around these corporations and fight from within the system to have that moderate, uh, that censorship look more like a healthy moderation. Yeah, I'm a libertarian. So I'm going to say government regulation is not going to 
solve anything. Uh, I, I, I will say, though, that if you have your own platform, then it's going to make it a lot easier. And that's what running your own server is all about. Now, if BTC Media had its, uh, you know, invested in some servers and hosted the content yourself and made, it would probably do okay. I actually think there's a lot of people that would click through and go watch that content, even if it's not on YouTube. Um, and maybe you don't get as much discoverability or so on, but you're also not cancelable where, you know, you, you have this like one to zero moment where like you had everything online and then some random algorithm like cuts you off. Uh, there will come a day when they're not going to like you very much. And they'll just, I mean, like this has happened to a lot of people where, you know, they were hosting their blog on WordPress or something like that. And then um, they're like, uh, they got cut off. So they, they, they've been forced to transition out. But the, in a sense, that's a good thing. And I, I've seen this in a lot of places, especially like places like Amazon, where, you know, you, you have an independent seller that's using Amazon to sell it. And then like, you know, Amazon does something where you can't sell it anymore. And then they, they're forced to kind of like launch their own website and stuff. And they find that, you know, they do way better than they thought. It, it wasn't the platform that was giving them the stuff. It was their product. And there's actually demand for the good or service that you're providing you it, it, like we're a little bit too afraid i think of um the reach of the platform itself and th this uh, this by the way has always been the argument behind all of these like all coins they're, they're all platforms right they're all centralized platforms and, and we're gonna give you this uh, you know, marketing push because you're part of our platform. This was uh, this was why every ICO launched on Ethereum in 2017, and why every uh, like NFT or for a while there was launched on OpenSea or whatever. It's it's that sort of like um, it's not about the product per se at that point. It's more about the platform and sort of like scamming your audience. I think if you're more concerned with the quality of the good or service that you're you're making then none of that matters because as i've discovered over you know the many years that i've been publishing content all over the place if it's good people find it and they'll share it um you know it doesn't matter if it's on like some hodunk blog you know platform from central romania or if it's like uh on like a big blogging platform or whatever if it's good people will find it they'll share it they'll 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 do whatever with it so the platform doesn't matter as much and it becomes a thing about the actual uh content or the good or service that you're providing and that's the way it should be it shouldn't be about who promotes your thing it should be about the quality of the thing itself. And I think it brings it back to a much more, I don't know, pure signal. And, you know, I, this, this is the thing that Joe Rogan's uh, capitalized on is, okay, it's, it's not about the platform. He's not famous because of YouTube. It's that his content is so good that he could go pretty much anywhere and people follow him. And they have, a lot of people have. Um, and, and in a sense, you have to kind of bet on yourself uh, in order to be able to, do this, but a lot of people just don't have that courage or that confidence to think that their content is good enough to survive in the open free market. Because in a sense, if you're on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, the content that you're producing is somewhat 
you know, manipulated by the, the central entities, right? Like they'll boost certain things or shadow ban certain things or, you know, downgrade certain things because they don't like you or they want to boost other things or they have an agenda. You're, you're kind of subject to their agenda instead of the actual free market, which I, I think it ultimately produces the best stuff. So are, are there um, limitations on Bitcoin nodes being servers or is this something you see as happening like parallel now that I know what a server is through the Bitcoin node, I can go run one to host my data or do you look into the, I mean, I'm sure you have the, the projects that Umbral's doing with these mm-hmm. decentralized apps. Yeah, I mean, and Umbral's not the only one, right? Like there's my mm-hmm. node, BTC, Nodal, and I think Casa has a has a product or whatever. And there's a, uh, Start9 has another one. There, there's a lot of them. And the, the nice thing about them is, you know, running your own Bitcoin node makes sense as a Bitcoiner because you can verify your own stuff, right? Like uh, you don't have to rely on an external entity to tell you what the state of the blockchain is. You can rely on your own stuff that you verified on your own with the software that you're running, you don't have to rely on anybody else. And that's that's the ultimate key to self-sovereignty. But if you're doing that for Bitcoin, well, you can start doing that for other things. And that's what all of these platforms are essentially getting to is a natural extension is running your own lightning node. But now you can do stuff like, um, you know, run your own whirlpool and do your own coin joins. And, um, you know, in addition to that, you can you can start like, hosting your own mail server eventually, right? Like, uh, or hosting your own, um, uh, your own, um, you know, photo server or calendar or whatever, all of, all of these things uh, that you depend on other companies to do, you can run them yourself. It's just, you're going to now need to manage a server and do all of that stuff, or maybe it's for your friends and family or whatever. And, you know, this used to be like a normal thing way back in the day, when not everyone was using Gmail was, okay, well, I need an email address. Can you help me? Okay, well, I'll give you an account on my mail server and it's, you know, whatever at domain.com or whatever. And and that that's how it used to be. Um, but, you know, like Google is just so damn convenient. That's, that, that's what everyone's been using, but you're giving up a lot of self-sovereignty. Like think about how much data Google has on you, right? <laughs> like what, what sort of things that they know about you that like maybe even your closest friends don't know, right? Like they, they know so much, right? Like your porn habits, right? Like uh, just your, you know, like what, what weird stuff you want. They know everything. Like, does that sound like a good trade-off to you? I find that personally really creepy. Uh, but you know, I and the, this is this is the this is the thing that we're gonna need to deal with is uh, you know, like our government tends to be a little bit better than the authoritarian governments. But man, if if I were in China, like, and I had to use like a you know mail provider or something. I'm, I'm sure all of that data is like sucked in somewhere and processed to, you know, like check for dissident, you know, thoughts or actions or anything. It, it, like, it could get really bad. Uh, and that's, that's not something that I think most people really recognize. 
My fellow plebs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you're a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. I think also to your point, and I, I do want to share this quick little story. A few years back, Netflix more or less shared the fact that their algorithm, all they need to know is what time you watch a show, what show you watch, and for how long. And those three components, they can tell you what your class is, what your race is, where you live, what your age, what your gender is. It's insane. It's, mm -hmm. And it's you watch five minutes of Squid Game at six o'clock versus eight o'clock. That little detail matters so much. And it's like those little things to Jimmy's point about how much data has been collected on this back end of things that we don't even recognize or realize yeah oh, and they know way more than that and oh, yeah. and this is the thing about like bitcoin and privacy that that I, I i point out to a lot of people is think about how much your credit card company knows about you right all the weird crap that you've ever bought right like they know they know everything and like this is some of the most private information that you can you can think of they know more about you than maybe even your spouse, right? Like it's, it's like, oh God, just, yes. <laughs> just, and this is what we're talking about with digital sovereignty and having sort of like control of your, your own data. The only real way to be able to do that is to really control your own data. Like don't let anybody else host it. You have to be the one hosting it. Um, and that means running your own server. And that's, that's a lot more work, um, but you know, I'm hoping that the products get there. I would love to see Umbral, Start9, all the all these companies incorporate a mail server, incorporate you know a calendar server, a photo server. So I don't have to. I, I could de Google, right? Like that, that would be amazing if I could de Google, have my own domain, you know, hook it up to my node, and now okay, you know, on top of that, I have a Lightning address and all that because I have my own domain. I, I could have all of that and not have to give up uh, sovereignty over my own data, which too many of us have just sort of given up without really thinking through the consequences. Because, you know, it might be okay that your credit card no company knows that you bought nipple rings last week. But, uh, but you know, at some point that, that, that information might come back to haunt you, right? Like, um, you know, like some, uh, some, prospective employer, you know, like hire some cybersecurity firm that can get this data because they made a deal with Google or something like that. And you use Google wallet. So they now know that you bought nipple rings and it's like, we're not going to hire anybody that buys nipple rings, you know, like whatever, like the, 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 it's, this is the sort of thing 
Um, you know, I mean, I, I make a funny example, but there, there's a lot more serious examples that you can think of as soon as you bring politics into it. And we, we know that those things have consequences. So but to this yeah. point though, that you kind of touched on not to interrupt you, like, yes, it's funny, but mm-hmm. there is no line on a background check. Like, no. like to your exact point, there is no line that says, if I'm going to hire you and I disclose, you're going to go through a background check. And there is an entity that's able to access your internet data. Like mm-hmm. that, there's no line that says, no, your background check stops on police records or what's written in public records for you. It's mm-hmm. whatever these people can dig up. And there is so much data readily available. And all these mm-hmm. companies that have been collecting it for free, like they have to make money. So they sell it. And you don't actually know who they're selling this data to. Yeah, I mean, you're crazy. the product. You're the product. That's the thing. Like um, all of these people... Like uh, I, I, I was reading about how uh, Vizio, they're, they're the TV company, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they, uh, they make more money on ads and selling the data that they collect off of your TV than the hardware. Think about that. <laughs> Think about that. How crazy. This is why their TVs are so fucking cheap is because they are selling your data about your viewing habits or what you're watching. And that's how they make their money rather than the the TV is you, you're getting it cheap because you're the product. This is happening all over the place. All of this free stuff is a way for them to sell you to other, uh, other players. And that, and, you know, like, I, I, I like bringing this story up because uh, I, I, uh, I talked to Taeyong Ho a while back. And I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's the highest ranking North Korean defector. Uh, he was an ambassador, I think, deputy ambassador to um, England. And he was stationed in London for a while. Anyway, he managed to escape with his family. And I got to talk to him at the Oslo Freedom Forum a few years ago. And, uh, and we were talking and, uh, and one of the questions I had was, okay, like what happened in North Korea? How, how do people just sort of like comply with all this stuff, right? Like how, how, how does it get to that point where you can just sort of like oppress them sort of willy-nilly? And he's like, oh, it's easy. You give them stuff for free. I'm like, what? What do you mean you give them stuff for free? Well, he's like, well, this, this, is, this, this was Kim Il-sung's plan from the beginning. It was, okay, we're going to give you free healthcare. We're going to give you, uh, we're going to make sure you're employed. We're going to give you a free house. We're going to give you free this, free that, free, free everything. I'm like, how does that work? Like, okay, so they get some stuff for free. How does that work? Well, he's like, well, guess what happens as stuff starts running out, right? All right. At some point, you, uh, you, you go to the doctor, it's free healthcare, and the doctor says, sorry, we don't have any medicine for you. What recourse do you have at that point? <laughs> right? We don't have any medicine for you. You can't, you can't complain because you're already getting it for free. And, that, and it's actually not really free at all because at the, uh, at the same time, you are expected to comply with all the government mandates. And this is uh, like, if you aren't doing exactly what the party says, then you're not going to get any of that stuff. So the cost is compliance. And this is, this is the thing uh, that, that I was thinking about when, when, as he was saying this is, well, he gave this stuff away for free and that's how he got the power. Well, guess what we're getting for free and guess who has the power? We got Gmail for free. Uh, we can tweet for free. We, we do social networking for free. Who has the power? Yeah, they, they've, they've more or less taken it 
and they threaten you to take you off their platform in order to get your compliance. This is the real cost of freedom, right? Like it's, you have to be willing to pay the cost of, you know, the goods and services that are out there. This, this is how socialism works is they get compliance by giving away stuff for free. And in a sense, all of these tech companies, it's some form of socialism in a sense, because if you're not paying for it, you're the product and you are being sold and your compliance is required to continue using their service. And they just make it so damn convenient. And they give you everything as a way to make it, uh, make you addicted to their service where you can't really live without it. And this is where we get this mentality. Well, what do I do if I get kicked off of YouTube? There, there's always been ways to do it. It's just a harder road and you don't have as easy a path but that's the cost of freedom. That's the cost of self-sovereignty. And so I'm, I'm curious more, what, what do you think, like what is the definition to you um, of a libertarian and, and maybe not even what a libertarian is, but you know, what are your beliefs? Uh, you know, what kind of reach should the government have under our into our lives and what should they protect us from if anything at all because i'm always wondering how far these um kind of libertarian ideals extend with people yeah i mean that's that's a great question um i i i don't know exactly what uh what works great and what doesn't because we honestly haven't had that much experimentation in this regard and this mm-hmm. is why i think you should have smaller states so you can try a lot of different things and for most of history, that was the case, right? You had pretty small city-states, pretty much. And uh, it's only really more recently that you had large contiguous land masses that are these countries or whatever. But yeah, I mean, like even the US right now, it feels like it should probably be like seven, 10 countries at least. Um, and uh, because they're, they're just so different, right? Like, uh, you know, people in Nebraska, do not have the same concerns as somebody in San Francisco. And, you know, and they don't have the same concerns as somebody in Alabama and, you know, somebody in Texas or Florida, like they're, these should all be sort of like, um, you know, uh, trials of different forms of government and, and seeing what works and what doesn't. Um, I tend to think that you need some form of common defense. So you're not overrun by like a horde of, um, you know, like hostile people or something like that. Um, at, and maybe some, some way to fund that usually, you know, like the early U S model was, uh, you know, customs duties or something like that, where essentially tariffs as the way to fund all of that. Um, and then leave everybody else alone, right? Like that, that, that's a model that I'd like to see tried, but, um, but I'm not going to tell you, Oh, this is, this is exactly the right one way to do things because, I don't know. And, you know, like we might find out by trying a bunch of different things, what works and what doesn't. We know what doesn't work. What doesn't work is totalitarian communist bullshit or whatever. Like none of that works. Uh, We know that a lot of stuff, uh, you know, like as governments take control of more industries, you know, those industries tend to go pretty bad. So, you know, uh, th- those things are lessons that we can incorporate into something um, that's a lot more libertarian. 
Yeah. So, I mean, do you think there is room for someone to, I, I, I guess, let me phrase it like this. What aspects of society do you think are better off being central planned? I don't know if you've had a chance yet to read um, the fiat standard, but I think mm -hmm. uh, Seyfedin would, would posit that, you know, pretty much none of them are in most of our <laughs> Western society. Yeah, I, I suspect that's true, but I don't know. Um, and the, the, and this is uh, this has been Hans Hermann Hoppe's uh, contention for a while. If you have a market for things, it's generally going to get you better goods and services for a cheaper cost. And governance is no exception. If you have a market, well, you're uh, and you have you know one government charging twenty percent and doing you know very little versus another one that's charging five percent and doing way more. Well you know, where, where do you think people are going to go? Like you, you, monopolies tend to cause, uh, you know, market inefficiency. And that's, I think, the main argument for why you want to see uh, non-monopolistic things. And most things that government takes on tends to be monopolistic. They can't compete in the free market. So, um, you know, military police services, you know, like, road building, construction, public works, all, all that stuff tend to be very inefficient for that reason. Now, I, like, I, I'd like to see some of this stuff tried, uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but I suspect that a lot of it is true. I, I do believe that free markets tend to produce better outcomes than monopolies. So, and I think there's plenty of evidence for that. Yeah. Q, did you have did you have any uh I genuinely I want to go back to a little bit of this conversation about states like I I have my own feelings on America as as the son of immigrants um mm -hmm. I I definitely agree that we have too many individual states that have different requirements but we all fall under this one blanket umbrella mm -hmm. seven states or seven countries walk me through like what are the regions how are we breaking up what are the resources because <laughs> I remember being in eighth grade. I grew up here in, in LA in the suburbs and we were explained like the value of the port of Long Beach, which is just around the corner from us and how the amount of trade that comes through just the port of Long Beach alone would be uh -huh. California, one of the top five economies in the world, just based on how much trade comes in and out. So mm -hmm. what are the different regions you're thinking? Is it West, East, centralized? I, I, I'm not going to break up the United States for you. I, I just I, I just think that governing everybody as if they're the same is a mistake um, because there are a lot of different groups in the United States, a lot of different regions that have very different, um, you know, like concerns and so on. Um, like, yeah, you do have a port at Long Beach where a significant amount of, uh, you know, goods comes through. Uh, but, you know, like that's happening in Europe, too. And you you have agreements between states. So, you know, like a, a lot of those goods can flow through. Thing is, if you have more competition, that's that's a good thing. Part, part of what makes Long Beach uh, so weird and, uh, you know, like uh, backed up and stuff like that is that, you know, they haven't created more ports because, you know, like that's that's something that you need like federal approval at, at that level. I think uh, there's something called the Jones Act that makes it so that, you know, anything traded in the U.S. has to come into the continental U.S. first and stuff like that. It, it's just like a hodgepodge of really weird 
uh, laws that are meant to serve some specific constituency. So like, I, I, I think smaller states make a lot of sense. Uh, I don't think like, you know, a very progressive California has much in common with a pretty conservative South Dakota, something like that. Like that, like why we're like trying to impose the same laws on two very, very different places doesn't really make any sense. Um, you know, let, let them try different things. Um, and to some degree we have that with, you know, state sovereignty, but, you know, federal government is overreaching in many different ways. And we haven't really had state sovereignty in I don't know, almost a hundred years, I would say. There was a really interesting discussion on the All In podcast, I want to say like six months ago, where they mm. kind of talked about, you know, Florida and California being the, the two extreme examples of how they're dealing with COVID. And mm. in a weird way, it's almost like a case study of let the, let the states handle how they see fit. And if we start to see, hey, this approach does work, it validates a different approach than we may necessarily have. It's almost though as as though like society is just not willing to accept that we're we're reaching different conclusions because we're taking different approaches or sorry, we're reaching the same conclusion through different approaches, which validates different approaches. I, I do agree that we are at a point where the federal government has overreached and the states need to, I think, have more more power and more saying what goes on to their citizens. Yeah. Well, I, I actually think like most people would be okay with like a smaller more local government, right? Like, like people, one of the biggest election issues every year is, okay, they're off in Washington and, you know, some guy from California is telling me what to do. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, that, that's sort of like local, local government, smaller local, you know, more connected government is something that I think most people want. It's that the people in power, the the people in Washington, they want to keep it together because they like controlling more, they like having more clout and they like being sort of like, um, you know, having that kind of power uh, over a lot of things. And they'd rather have this giant prize than, you know, like give give the power back to the states or something like that. So. I, like it, it's an unfortunate situation, but the people in power sort of, you know, control a lot of this stuff. And that's unfortunate. Do you think a part of that is due to the fact that we almost glamorize and, and make into celebrities the national politicians rather than focusing in on our local politics where you see people wanting to run for the race to be the next senator, the next congressperson from their district, but no one wants to do the work of being their town's mayor or being on the local board or the local dealing with the local issues. Yeah. There's not much glamor. You're not going to get much press and stuff like that. And that's uh, yeah, there's the thing is like, everything's been going federal for the last hundred years. It used to be much more at the state level. And I, Blame the amendment that caused the direction, direct election of senators for this. Um, but basically, the federal government has is the be all end all. It used to be that the Senate was the state's house. So the states had a say in all federal laws because uh, the, the senators were represent, representatives of the state legislatures and the state le- and 
basically the state legislatures would tell the senators how to vote. That's that's how it used to be. And if the senator disagreed, then they they would be recalled by the state legislature and put a new guy would be put in. And that that was the way the states were able to make sure that their voice was heard in federal government. Uh, but direct election of senators, one of the three progressive amendments that were a complete disaster, in my opinion, the other two were prohibition and the income tax. Um, they've essentially made it so that, OK, now it's all just in federal government and they they, they get to decide everything. So, of course, like state government doesn't matter nearly as much. I mean, they, they still matter. And uh, no doubt, like being a governor of a state or being part of the state legislature, you can you can do some things, but you're somewhat limited in what you can do. Um, and this is why states' rights have more or less degraded over the past hundred years, because after that amendment, it was there, there wasn't any force in Washington to uh, be more... Um, to give power to the states because they used to actually have a branch of government. It was called the U.S. Senate, but not anymore. You know, like the, that constituency doesn't really have a voice uh, in federal government anymore. So how do you apply? I mean, I understand you're doing some work um, with, do you want to call it a political action committee uh, with, with C.J. Wilson and, and co. Do you, do you want to talk about that a little bit? And your, yeah, your yeah. There? Yeah, so um, I'm part of the Bitcoin Today Coalition um, and CJ and Amanda and some other people, uh, Becca and uh, Donna. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're putting together something so that we can um, have a Bitcoin only lobby in Washington. And it's a 501c4, not a political action committee or a 501c3. It's an education based uh, nonprofit. And we're seeking to educate um, you know, people on Capitol Hill, but also, you know, uh, normal people as well. Um, and we're, you know, wh- one of the first things that we did was we published a book. Um, and it's uh, some of the authors are like me, CJ and uh, Amanda are part of this coalition. But we also had five other people um, that were part of this author group. Um, and, you know, it's a diverse cast of people, uh, three women, five men, two black people. I'm the Asian guy. There's a boomer in there, Gen Xers, millennials. So, so it, it's, it's very wide across the political spectrum. And the idea is to give a, a, uh, a good overview for policymakers on, you know, why Bitcoin matters to them. And, you know, like chapter two, for example, is like an overview of all the, the Bitcoin voter and who, who the Bitcoin voters are, because they they think it's just a bunch of like, you know, uh, libertarian finance bros, um, you know, and that that that's it. It's actually not that at all. And if you look at the stats, um, a lot of blue collar workers in there, a lot of military veterans in there, a lot, you know, like a lot of people concerned with inflation in there. So uh, we we try to break it down for the people that. Our policymakers, okay, these are the people that you should think about when, you know, you're thinking about Bitcoin, you know, here, here's, uh, here's why, you know, they're using Bitcoin as savings because the US dollar sucks. Um, here's how it helps black people. Here's how it happen- helps like Hispanic people. Here's how 
you know, it helps all, all, all kinds of people. Um, and then we get into, okay, like it's great for small businesses. It's great for rural communities. Um, and we, we go through a lot of the reasoning uh, that politicians need to know about in order to make a nice informed position on, uh, on Bitcoin. Because what we don't want are people like Elizabeth Warren, who has no idea what the hell she's talking about, spouting off nonsense and making it sound like she knows uh, she she's found us out or something like that. Um, you know, like the, the, there's there's a like and, you know, it's not a Republican issue. It's not a Democrat issue. There's a lot of perspective that's in this book that hopefully will connect with uh, people of all political uh, stripes. And that's the idea. Um, and I, I had a really good time writing the book with my co-authors, certainly learned a lot, um, uh, particularly from uh, my black co-authors, Lamar Wilson and Charlene, for, I can't pronounce her, Charlene F. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but she, uh, they, they, I think, uh, gave me a pretty good perspective on why it's just so important for black people and why the per, on a per capita basis, more of them have invested in Bitcoin than you know, white people even. What, uh, what are some of the, the, the points there? Why, why yeah. is that? Well, so um, the way, so we have this legacy of slavery in the United States and, uh, and you know, like I, and it's it's not like sort of like ancient slavery where it was a lot more humane. This is like Chattel slavery, some of the worst atrocities of human existence. Um, but part of that legacy is that uh, Black people have pretty much had their property taken away at every turn throughout, um, even after emancipation. Um, and that's a legacy that the, that the Black community has gone through for quite a while um, is that you, know, you you accumulate something and then the state just sort of takes it away. Um, like, you know, there, there were there was all this property just sort of confiscated as part of Jim Crow laws, for example. So as a result of that, you you've had this lack of ability to transfer generational wealth. Um, so if you look at sort of that, you know, average white family, they're they've been able to inherit a significant amount of, uh, you know, resources, or at least some of them. Uh, for Black families, it's like almost non-existent because there hasn't been this history and we have this legacy of slavery. So basically you haven't been able to build up generational wealth. And that's from a very practical standpoint, Bitcoin is a way so that uh, to make sure that you're, wealth isn't taken away from you. Um, and that, that's why it's so important to Black people, because historically, they've had all their stuff taken away. And if, if, if your stuff has been taken away, well, now you can't like set up life for your kids and all this other stuff. From a generational wealth perspective, this, this is huge for that community, because now you have a way to do it outside of the bounds of a state that's historically taken all your stuff away. So um, uh, that, that, that was a very powerful argument for me. I was like, okay, that totally makes sense. And this, this is why so many black families have struggled because honestly, they've just had their, yeah, like this is what we all complain about, right? Government taking our stuff. Well, they, they've suffered it for hundreds of years.
I just wanted to touch on, on this subject because I was reading, or I think it was a TikTok I watched, mm-hmm. but it was very interesting that sort of touched on like, why is why Bitcoin and Cash App specifically and mm-hmm. Bitcoin purchases through Cash App are so large in the black community due in large part because you don't need a bank account to start, mm-hmm. your, start a Cash App. Was that something also that you guys kind of touched on about like the banking accessibility within those communities? Yeah, yeah. And that um, and this is something that they, th- this is actually a form of property theft too, if you think about it. It's, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, oftentimes uh, black families will have a harder time opening bank accounts. Um, loans that they get are at higher interest rates and stuff like that. So it's, it, it all comes down to, okay, like we're kind of sick of being discriminated against. And this is, Bitcoin doesn't know your race, right? Like it, it, it doesn't know if you're black or white and, or whatever. So th- this is a way in which you can get around all of the human biases that are inherent in the fiat system. Um, and that's a, that's a point that's made in that, uh, in that particular chapter. But, you know, I, the, this is, this is the, argument that I, I hope uh, really connects with a lot of the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, because, you know, she's just, I think, had bad advisors. But if, if she read that argument, I think she'd agree. Right? Like, it's like, yeah, we we have taken away property from black people for a long time. How, like and yeah, the, I like I don't blame them for not trusting the U.S. government and wanting to go with a currency that's outside the purview of the U.S. government. Yeah, like makes all the sense in the world. I know that Alex and talked to you for years about the real estate component of Bitcoin and how all of that sort of ties in. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I I mean I'm a big. Uh, I guess not from opponent, but advocate of the fact that Bitcoin seems to be the only thing you can own. Um, I don't want to say true ownership, just just generally, it's the only thing that's that's ungovernable that that we have, or or the it's the least governable thing that that I own at least. I I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I I, I think uh, VJ Boyapati calls it like a super property, right? Because um, every other form of property can be taken away, even gold was taken away with executive order 6102. And this is because it has a physical location. Uh, with Bitcoin, it's it's a super property right in the sense that if you really don't want to give it away and it's, let's say, in your brain, no one can take it away, <laughs> right? Like there's, like you, you have the passphrase in your mind or whatever, no one can take it away. Like you could, you could be tortured. If it's that important to you that it doesn't get into the hands of the people torturing you, then you you could be willing to die for it. And in that sense, it's kind of like a belief. No one can make you believe something else if you're determined to hold on to that belief. No one can take away your Bitcoin if you're determined to hold on to that Bitcoin. Now, that might not be worth it to you, right? If you have like half a Bitcoin or something, it might not be worth being tortured over. Um, but you have that option. And that that's what gives it sort of like a possessibility that nothing else has. So like real estate, for example, is not very possessible. In fact, um, I think we should, even if you quote unquote own your land, you should really consider it a uh, rental from the state because if you don't pay your taxes, they're going to take it away. And if you don't, uh, you know, 
give them what they want or they they have the power of eminent domain and things like that. So property is not really yours, right? Like it's it's like mostly yours and you have it uh, at their pleasure, but it's not exactly yours. Um, so in that sense, I think you're right. It's it's the most pos- Bitcoin is the most possessible thing, unlike land or gold or any of this other stuff where you have use of it at the moment until the government decides to take it away, in which case you don't own it anymore. Absolutely. Hey, Jimmy Song, uh, we're, we're at the end of our segment now. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Um, thanks so much for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me. My book is uh, called Bitcoin and the American Dream. It's available on Amazon and Kindle, paperback, hardcover. We are working on the audiobook. Um, Guy Swan is recording it probably as we speak. So it will be available fairly soon. Awesome. We just dropped a link to that book in the chat, guys. Be sure to go check out the book and, and get yourselves a copy. Thanks for coming on today. We hope to talk to you again soon, Jimmy. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah. 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 Yeah.